As you're finding the book of Hebrews, I'll go ahead and tell you the big idea of our study together today is that since we've been given so much in Jesus, we're free to do really deep ministry in each other's lives. Since we've been given so much in Jesus, all the things we've been talking about in Romans, we're free to do deep ministry in each other's lives. I decided to take a break from Romans this week uh, since we were doing something special today. And uh, I just stumbled upon a really perfect passage for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Because we've been studying all this kind of lofty theology about God and who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus. In Jesus, we've been adopted. We've been made sons and daughters of the Father. We've been cleansed from our sins, our shame. It's all been forgiven. He's justified us. He's taken us from being genuinely guilty before God and transformed us into innocent before God. We've been given so much, and we spent a lot of time meditating on all that. So I thought it would be helpful to study this passage, which sort of takes all those truths and then points them toward real life. We've been given all this, so now, how should we live? Or since all this is true, let's live like this. And as we read this passage, you'll see the word since a couple of times and the words let us a couple of times. The, the author's mindset is, since this is true, let us do this. Since this is true, let us do this. So if you would, if you're able, please stand as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Listen for those senses and let's. Since this is true, let's do this. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you have taught us about what's true, about who you are and what you've done for us through Jesus. Help us to remember all these things as we approach this passage and help us to respond with all of our hearts. Lord, help us to consider each other, to stir each other up, to love and good deeds. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit for this miraculous work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, we're mainly going to focus on the last two verses of this. I've been thinking a lot about fellowship lately, and I feel like these last two verses clarify a good bit about what we're doing here regarding fellowship and things like this today where we're going to eat together and play games together. Um, 
I think this will give us a good understanding of why we're doing this. But let's just breeze through the first part of the passage on our way to those last verses. So he says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and then later on, since we have a great priest over the house of God, since we have all this, there's some change that should take place in how we live. If you come here and you hear, like we studied in Romans, about how God has made a way for us through Jesus. through It's like Jesus' flesh was a curtain that he opened up for us to be able to access God. That should make some impact on how we think and how we operate and how we live, if it's true. If it's just, you know, happy, warm, fuzzy religious talk, then it doesn't need to change anything. We can go on about our business. But if it's true, it should have an effect on how we live. So as Christians, we have complete confidence that we can go to God in prayer or even when we die, we can go before God. And we have complete assurance of our faith. So he says, let us draw near and hold fast in the preceding verses to verse 24. And then verse 24, the one we're going to really study, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The deep ministry that we're free to do in each other's lives begins with consideration. And just note before we get into the text deeper, I'm talking about each other right now. So the people around you. So take a minute. This is always awkward every time I've done this, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Take a minute and just look around you. Actually turn around and see the people that are around you. And I can see you, so I know if you're participating or not. Sarah Linker. Okay, you see these people. This is, these are the people I'm talking about. Um, right now, I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm not talking about our call to go out to Africa and missions. I'm not talking about uh, your responsibility and assignment to share Jesus with the non-Christians that you know at work and friends. I'm just talking about your relationship with each other right now. That's what I want you to have in mind as we study this passage, because that's what the author is referring to. So, we're free to do deep, deep ministry in each other's lives. Deeper than you think, I bet. You are free, because you are a Christian, to minister to the people sitting beside you and behind you and in front of you in really, really, really deep ways. Some of you may think that the deep ministry happens like from pulpit to people. And it's me that I'm the one who's free to do deep ministry in people's lives. Well, I am free to do deep ministry in your lives because of Jesus, but so are you. And you have a high calling just toward each other, just toward the, I don't know, 70 people, 80 people, however many in this room, the 120, 150 people associated with our church at large. You have a really high calling toward those people. And it begins with consideration. And I don't mean, you know, walking on eggshells consideration. Oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's not what he's talking about. It's a really strong word. I looked it up in the original language. It means in verse 24 when he says, and let us consider. It means to study. To take notes. To carefully 
consider. To detect and discern. It means to think from up to down until you reach a conclusion. So it's like a detective doing detective work. Working a case. So we're all detectives. And our case is each other. So again, just for double awkwardness, look around at, each, at yourselves. Look at each other. One more time. Okay, these people you see, that's your case. That's your assignment. You're given the freedom and all the tools you need to deeply impact the life of these people that you're seeing. So think about it. How well do you know these people that you saw when you looked around? What's going on in their lives? I'm not asking right now how have they affected you. I'm asking just about them as a person. What's, what challenges do you know about that they're facing? Because I can tell you pretty certainly that whatever challenges you know they're facing, that's just the tip of the iceberg for what they're really struggling with. What's going on in their lives, their family, their, their job, their finances? Where are they in their walk with Jesus? Are they Christians or are they just church people? Are they Christians who need instruction? Are they living in sin? Are they doing great? Are they really strong in their faith, but they're not yet pouring into anyone else? Think about the, each other. It's so easy to slip into this mindset in church where it's every man for himself. Like right now, everybody's seated and you're looking up here at me and, and you're shoulder to shoulder. And often there's not enough interaction, intermingling of us in the body of Christ. That's one reason we do little things like what we're doing, doing today. And um, that's one of the motivations behind our attempt at the big gatherings, which I think we're going to be talking about some changes to those coming up. Um, I'm going to talk with that crowd next big gathering about it. That's one of the reasons why I really think house to house is important. So it begins with consideration. In verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another to love and good works. I had fun in the original languages in this passage because he used some really, really interesting words. Uh, what was translated in mind, stir up, it's, it's really the image of jabbing somebody. It's provoking someone by jabbing them until they have to respond. Kind of like your children when they will not give up and they've got something they need you to respond to while you're on the phone. Has that happened to you? This is, this is an aggressive, intentional idea. This isn't softly influencing each other by our example. This is sort of grabbed by the collar and addressing each other and speaking to each other on purpose to stir each other up, to provoke a response. So while you're thinking about the people around you, I want you to think about yourself for a minute. What response do you typically provoke from your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Doolin's Grove. Just think about the interactions you have 
on the phone, here, Sunday school, wherever you interact with each other. What kind of response do you typically provoke from your brothers and sisters here? It's kind of a hard question to consider, but I want you to to wrestle with it for a minute. You might feel like, I don't provoke any response. They probably wouldn't notice if I wasn't there. (laughs) Well, that's not good either. That's bad in its own way. The response that we're shooting for is that people would be moved and provoked to love better and work harder because of knowing us. So because you're here as a part of Doolin's Grove, do the rest of us love better and work harder because you're here? Or do you make no impact or do you make a negative impact and cause people to love less and work less? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And let this sink in how amazing this is. You know, we all want Doolin's Grove to grow and be healthy. And we want this to be a thriving church that just is soaked in gospel truth and love and is vibrant with people engaged in good deeds and, you know, serving the community and witnessing evangelism and missions and uh, generosity. We want that. How will God cultivate that in us? What are his tools for doing that? Well, I think he has a whole toolbox full of tools, but one of his primary tools is you and me and our each other relationships. He wants to stir us up to these great and wonderful things by using us in each other's lives, which is pretty amazing because we're all really screwed up. I know myself well enough to say that confidently, and I know a lot of you pretty well. I mean, we've got issues, and yet God is so glorious that he uses us in each other's lives to bring about growth. So to help us think through this, I want us to remember what this word love means. We're, we're trying to consider how we might stir each other up to love Love is just a bankrupt word in our culture. It can mean anything or nothing or everything. It's just used so much for so many different things. Um, So I want to turn to the famous love passage, 1 Corinthians 13. You can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4. You've probably heard it a billion times at weddings. Maybe it's on your coffee cup at home. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4. This is going to help us think through how we might stir each other up toward these things. Okay, here's what love is. This is what we're shooting for. This is what we're trying to cultivate in each other. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures 
all things. That's love. That's beautiful. That's what we're trying to stir up amongst ourselves and each other. So, think about it with me. I'm just going to read through these again, and I want you to think about the people that you saw when you looked around. How can you... I'm not asking how you can stir this up in yourself even right now. I'm asking how can you stir this up in those people around you? How can you provoke them toward patience rather than anger? And there is no easy answer to this. This is complicated ministry stuff. How can you provoke them toward kindness instead of malice? How can you provoke them toward contentment instead of jealousy or complaint? How can you provoke them toward humility instead of arrogance? How can you provoke them toward propriety instead of rudeness? How can you provoke them toward selflessness instead of selfishness? How can you provoke them toward forgiveness versus bitterness? How can you provoke them toward truthfulness versus falsehood and gossip? How can you provoke them toward discretion versus reckless talk? How can you provoke them toward belief versus skepticism? How can you provoke them toward hope instead of despair? How can you provoke them toward endurance instead of exhaustion? How can we do these things? Because this is our job. This is what God expects of us. See, failure in these areas within a church, it's our fault. If, if our church begins to grow into, if there's a lot of anger and a lot of malice and complaining and arrogance and rudeness and selfishness and bitterness and so on, that's a failure of fellowship. See, fellowship is so much more than enjoying a meal and playing some volleyball. Part of the reason that people fail in these areas is because fellowship fails. We're called to keep each other straight. When a church succeeds in these areas, when a church is characterized by truthfulness and discretion and belief and hope and endurance and patience and kindness and all these great things, it's usually a result of a success of fellowship. Your sanctification is a community project. So who do you know do you trust well enough in this crowd of people to speak into your life, provoke you, jab you away from the unloving things toward the loving things? Is there anybody here that could speak to you effectively toward that end? Is there anybody that you would listen to humbly? Who do you know here that you have a good enough relationship with that you could go to and lovingly provoke toward love and good deeds? 
See, this is part of the whole discipleship thing that we're talking about. See, the idea is that the, the older, mature Christians would be pouring into the lives of the younger, less mature Christians in these ways. And that we'd all be iron sharpening iron, working together and working on each other. Now, if I ask those two questions and nobody came to mind, there's nobody that speaks into my life at this church that I'll listen to, that can rebuke me or correct me or really encourage me, or there's nobody that I could speak to. I I don't have that relationship with anybody that I could talk to just honestly and point out where they're doing great, encourage them to move forward, or point out where they're missing it. That's a real problem. That's a real problem. We want deep, deep fellowship. And this is what it looks like. And he gives us a little pointer of what it looks like in the next verse too. Verse 25. I'll read both, 24 and 25. He says, Let us, because all this is true about Jesus, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here's kind of what it looks like. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What it looks like is encouragement rather than neglect. So what he's saying is, you know, I want this kind of deep fellowship among you, this deep ministry into each other's lives, but some of you have just developed the habit of neglecting each other. Neglecting gathering together, neglecting meeting together. You've just gotten out of the habit of encouraging each other and into the habit of neglecting each other. And and keep in mind, the opposite of neglecting fellowship, neglecting coming together, meeting together, gathering together, isn't attending meetings and gatherings. It's encouraging one another. Did you see that in verse 25? It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. Now you're all thinking, well, I'm here, so I'm not neglecting. So this is for somebody else. Well, it's for all of us to know. When we get into these habits of we don't really want to be around each other, or we don't feel like going, um, the opposite of that isn't forced attendance. I never want to guilt you into attending anything. The opposite of that is remembering what you have in Jesus and the mission you have in each other's lives to encourage each other. See, when people fall away, it doesn't just hurt them. It hurts all of us. We need you. We need you to be engaged in this. I need you. You need each other. This is where we get to... Things like we're doing today. This is why I think it's important to just spend time together. You can't speak into each other's lives and provoke each other by jabbing each other toward love and good deeds if we don't know each other. How awkward is that when someone you don't really know comes and tries to tell you how to live your life? And you're immediately defensive and offended and angered. I remember in my home church, there was this older man who sat about midway back, and all the young people sat right in the front. And one of my friends was dating at that time, and he had his girlfriend there in his high school. And they were just kind of all over each other, not really like 
you know, X-rated all over each other, but like just too huggy, too close, inappropriate for church. And this older man, his name was Hiram, came up to him after the church service and kind of grabbed his shoulder and got right in his face and said, young man, I was offended by how you and your girlfriend were acting during that service. It's like that close to his face. And I remember my friend walking away from that just furious. I cannot believe that guy, that old man, come up and say that to me. See, he never even had talked to that guy before. They didn't have the kind of relationship where he could just come up and get in his face about something he was doing wrong. And all it did was make him even want to be more aggressive about it because it's just out of spite. So what I'm saying is I'm not, I don't want you to take this as a license to just let her rip and let people have it. Some of you have probably been writing a list of things you want to say to certain people. That's not what this is. It's very important that we spend time together. It's very important that we intermingle our lives. But that is not an end in and of itself. It's important that we do that so that we can do this deep ministry into each other's lives. So we're going to go out here and, um, you know, play bingo or volleyball or whatever and spend time together, and that's good. But while we're doing this, I want you to look around at these people. These are your people. Love them or hate them. We're in this together. And these are your people. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about anybody else in this church because they are your assignment and my assignment and you're their assignment and we are in this thing together and we have a lot of work to do so can we be intentional enough to get to know each other I mean some of you have been here for decades and decades and decades and you might be thinking this is silly But I don't think so. I think some of us who have been here for decades still don't really know each other. Some of us do. There are are good, close relationships in this church, and I praise God for it. But I want more. I want to see more. Can we be humble enough to listen to people, older men, women in the faith who are more mature than we are, who could give us encouragement and advice? Is there someone that you need to seek out and say, listen, I really admire you. I really respect you. You know, you've been a Christian for a long time. I see how your family is. I see how your life is. I just want to let you know, I'm just going to invite you to speak frankly with me and try to encourage me like this passage said. Does anyone come to your mind that you could go and initiate that conversation with? Is there any younger person that you have just, God brings them to your mind often? And you don't know why? You think maybe I should be praying for them? I hope you do pray for them, but maybe that's also a prompting that you need to pursue that person. Invite them out to lunch. Send them a card, a call, Facebook them. Pursue a relationship with them so that maybe you can be an encouragement like this to them. So what I'm hoping is that this will open up a wide door to wonderful, exciting ministry for you that you can just do right now. You can start praying toward this end right now. And it's important that we do it for another reason. And I'll close with this, the way he closes. 
He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you know what he's talking about by the day, the capital D? That's the day that Jesus returns. See, when he left, he said, I'm coming back. And it's been a long time, and often we can forget he's coming back. He might be back before we get to eat lunch. And when he does return, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess he is Lord. And we're going to look back, and we're going to remember all these relationships and all these interactions and all these wasted opportunities and all these times that we provoked each other to the bad things instead of the good things. And it's going to be such a shame. Such a privilege that we have to be used by God. So I want to. I want to thank you, for those of you, who who are trying, to do fellowship like this. I want to thank you, those of you whom I respect, who have spoken into my life, and who have provoked me, to good deeds and love. Now, I want to encourage you to get to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And through him, thank you that we have confidence that we can come to you and be in the holy places with you. Thank you that through him we have been cleansed and sprinkled with his blood and cleansed of all of our sin and shame and guilt and evil consciences. And uh, thank you that Through Jesus, we have full assurance of our faith. We don't have to worry about that stuff. But instead, we're free to draw near to you, and we're free to consider one another instead of ourselves. We're free to do deep ministry in each other's lives. Lord, please mobilize us, help us, make us humble enough to receive it. Bind us close, tight, together. Help us to really, really get to know each other, pray for each other, love each other. May Doolin's Grove thrive and be a church that's bursting with love and good deeds because of Jesus and what he's done. It's in his name we pray. Amen.